It's fun to listen to Katrina and, and uh, Pat sing. Katrina is just a beautiful voice. I mean, just so melodic and easy. I could listen to you sing the whole time, and I might preach a little shorter just so you can sing more. But what, what's interesting about Patrick is I remember when Patrick went to Orange Lutheran. Remember? And uh, Pat, uh, as, as beautiful as his voice is, he was a fullback. And, and look at him. I mean, listen to him sing. And, and you wouldn't think he's a fullback, right? He was tough. I see uh, Dave, uh, Dave Bogardis back there and Matt. These guys, these guys all played football and hung out together. And when you needed a tough yard in the middle of the defense, you gave the ball to Patrick. And he might kill somebody going into the line of scrimmage, but he never fumbled the ball. He never had a problem. And then all of a sudden, we found out that the young man could sing. And there it is. He goes from kind of a tough guy to a beautiful uh, artist. And just every time you sing, Pat, I, I love it. It's so, it's so good. It takes me back. I see Matt, too. And it just takes me back to just some of that, right? Where we were and where we're, where, we're all, where we're all at today. There's always a cast of characters that goes with us. There's always people that walk along life's, life's journey with us in different contexts, different ages and different stages of life. There's there's people who are with us in the younger seasons of our lives. I've got a whole bunch of friends I went to high school and college with. And the moment that you get back with those buddies, it's ah, la, 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 la. remember this, remember that, remember that game, remember how that went, remember when we this and that, and how we got home and how we didn't get home and how we hitchhiked and all, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then you have your friends you're raising your children with, right? You had those friends. And for me, those friends are a little older now. And the kids are older, and it's college, and uh, done with college, and into careers, and we talk about those things. And, and then little kids, right? Then, then you have little kids on your laps, and babes in arms, and you grow up with them. And, and there's always a, 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 a cast of characters who are working in your life and help set the context of who you are and how you connect and help make life meaningful for, for all of us. And in the scriptures this morning, you get a, you get a cast of characters uh, Marco already read from, from Isaiah a little bit, and, and here you have the cast of characters of the prophets, and they didn't have Twitter, and they didn't have smartphones, and they didn't have, you know, uh, internet and digital communication. So one person told another person told another person, and all of a sudden, here's, here's the cast assembling on a cold, dark night. It's angels and shepherds and wise men and Mary and Joseph and Rebecca and all of this crew. But it started with a cast of prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, all of those marvelous people who they told two friends and they told two friends and they told two friends and so on and so on and so on until the word of the Messiah got out and about to the whole crew of God's, God's people. And so Isaiah says in that text this morning from Isaiah chapter 11, he said, God has not forgotten his people. God is still working. God is still doing His thing. Don't, don't worry about God being quiet for a little bit because God is still worked of, working and God is still, is still active. Cast of characters. God works in and among people. Who are those people in your life? Encourage your spirit. Challenge you to be better than you are. Love you unconditionally and care for you in your life. Who is that that walks, that walks with you? Because chances are pretty good that in the days and weeks ahead, you're going to have an opportunity to hang out and be with those people. One of the cast of characters from, the, uh, from Advent, from Christmas, is John the Baptist. 
and love the stories of John the Baptist. This one is uh, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, and I'm just going to read it for you, and I've got a little bit here that you can uh, follow along with me, but I, I just love this story. John, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork will be in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his weed into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. <laughs> and that's the good news of the Lord. How about that? Unquenchable fire. The only thing we don't have, and there's weeping and gnashing of, of teeth. But John the Baptist, what a character. The one who set the path, the one who blazed the trail for the Messiah. John the Baptist, eating locusts and wild honey, we wondered if he dip, dipped the locusts in the wild honey or he just ate them dried up or maybe he ate them live. I don't know. But I'm not sure what you do with John the Baptist. If you're good, ordinary church-going folks like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, John the Baptist was something out of your worst nightmare because the religious order had already been kind of set up. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had a kind of a... a, a, a a, a monopoly on the market of religion. They had it all figured out, and it worked out for them politically, economically, militarily. They had great influence. Jerusalem was not a big burgeoning city. It was kind of a backwater place. The big cities were Rome and Alexandria and Corinth, Ephesus. Those were the big ones. But Jerusalem had this little weird political, religious, Jewish, cultural Thing going on. And into their little way of doing things came this character, John the Baptist. And he didn't say, everything's going to be fine and we're all going to love the Messiah. It's all going to be great. He looks square at the religious leaders of the day and says what? You brood of vipers. Oh my word. <laughs> I can't imagine getting up on Christmas Eve with the church full and saying, you brood of vipers. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God. I mean, it just doesn't. But that was the message that John the Baptist was called to bring to the cast of characters that were going to be there when the Messiah, Jesus, was going to come. He was the voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight 
paths for him. And as Matthew writes this gospel, the first thing, the first word that, that, that is associated with John the Baptist is that of repentance. When all culture and all t- our time, repentance is kind of a tough sell. There's not a lot of repentance that's going on. And I've got some reasons for that in a, in a few minutes. But repentance, as it's spoken of here, is a turning away from self and sin and a turn to God, as, as John the Baptist says, to follow the straight path. Repentance means turning away from self and to the Lord, turning away from sin and to God. Where have you been? Are we 49 weeks into 2019? Are you a resolutions person? Do you write resolutions? Do you keep them in your little folder and put them in your book? I've got two resolutions this year. One has to do with exercise and fitness. There's a certain amount of biking miles I want to log this year. I'm going to log them in my diary. I'm going to write them down, and I'm going to get there. And when I get there, I'm going to buy myself a new bike. Ugh! And hopefully it'll be a year from now that I'll get there. And I'll have, well, whatever. But that, that's right, one resolution. I'm going to be coming to you in August and saying, now I have to ride 300 miles every day until the end of December. <laughs> right? But there are those goals that go with fitness. There's also a professional goal that I have this year among some personal ones, the resolution to finish my Doctor of Ministry degree this year and write about a 150-page paper between now and the end of the year and get it done. And then instead of Pastor Tim, he can call me Dr. Klinkenberg, which, whatever. But, right, what are your resolutions? What are you thinking about? So many of them orbit a few areas, right? I want to get better in this. I want to be more disciplined in that. I want to be better than the cast of characters in my life. I want to find ways to intersect with God in a deeper, richer way. For me, for 40 years plus, it's been I want to lose weight. Now I want to become fit. But that requires, and those resolutions require a turning away from the pathway and the trajectory I'm on into something richer and deeper. Repentance takes that idea and goes a level deeper for us. Repentance says, turn your heart away from self and follow God's straight path for you in your life. And it's super hard in our culture to turn away from self. And I'm not talking just about individualism. I'm talking about an individualistic worldview that is pervasive in our culture. We say over and over again, it's not about me. But everything in the culture wars against that. I took the uh, opportunity during Cyber Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and Giving Tuesday. Are those what those are, David? That's what it is, Ronnie. And I unsubscribed from all those emails. When I woke up this morning, I usually get somewhere between 78 and 100 emails just waking up. This morning, I had 16. And I thought, thanks be to God. I still had REI. I still have the good ones on there, Lutheran Hour Ministries, you know, blah, 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 but... But so much of that email called me to think and focus on myself. You know, you can buy these gifts and get this for someone else, but save some money for yourself. You have all these things you can do, but make sure you take time for yourself. You want to make sure that you have everything that you need and everything you want, and it just got weary. So some of the barriers to true repentance 
In John the Baptist's time, it was the stratification of religious understanding. There wasn't really room for the Messiah. There had to be a, a, someone to really come in and cut down the tree and crush the rocks and fill in the valleys and, and mow down the mountains. And that was John the Baptist. In our lifetime, in our style, it's a little different. Perhaps in our culture, in our time, it's, it's pride. Why do I have to turn away from myself? I like myself. I'm in with myself. I have my life all together. I'm in good shape. I have no need to turn. Everything's fine. Matter of fact, straighten out that arrow and let me go. I think when we get honest with ourselves and look in our soul, maybe that pride melts a little bit. And as we go back into the 49 weeks of 2019 and say, where did I succeed and where did I fail? Where was I healed and where was I broken? Sometimes that pride has a way of melting away. And God takes the jackhammer of His Word where hearts are hard. And He calls us to repent from that pride and turn away from self and back to God. Here's a million-dollar word, antinomianism. Can you say that with me? Antinomianism. You can say that when your children, your grandchildren are running around like chickens with their heads cut off, you can say, you know what? You're running around like little antinomians. And they'll go, what are you talking about? How offensive? You go, no, no, antinomian. Anti against nomos law. Against the law. Antinomians say God's law doesn't apply. Well, you know that thing with that deal where God said no? And that thing with that command, those 10 things where God said this is how life looks? Yeah, those are okay, but they don't really apply. That's antinomianism. Antinomianism says... The law of God doesn't really apply because God is love exclusively. Therefore, it really doesn't matter what I do or how, how I follow up because God loves me no matter what I do, so I might as well just do whatever I want. And in an, and in an individualistic society and in an individualistic culture, people's laws and regulations for their own lives typically are their own. An ethic or a moral system that they've learned in and of themselves. And as the Western church becomes less and less Christian, the law of God seems to stick in people's lives less and less. And so we say repent, or John says repent. We say, well, from what? God's law had its season, it had its time, but it really doesn't last now. Why would I care about that? And another one is denial. Denial says, you know, it really ain't that bad. You know, as I go back, I feel good. I got this all together, and this is fine, and that's fine, and this is good, and God had a plan for my life, and He worked me through this cruddy thing. And God... Sometimes we get in denial, and we don't look at things deeply and richly enough. We look in the mirror and we don't see the broken pieces of our lives. We don't see the opportunities where we could have drawn people together and we wedged people apart. We don't see those opportunities where we could have stepped up ethically and honestly and told the truth. And we struggled because we kind of obfuscated and hid the truth behind what we wanted someone else to see. And we deny that instead of accept it and repent from it. We say, well, it wasn't that bad. It doesn't apply to me or it just didn't happen. An Advent is a time or a season to say, I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn my heart away from myself and turn back to the Lord. So don't skip 
Advent. <laughs> Don't skip an opportunity at the end of the year to evaluate the year under the umbrella of God's grace and through the filter of God's law and find opportunities to turn back to Christ and to course correct in your attitudes, behaviors, and what we say. Don't skip Advent. Don't go right to Christmas. I had to laugh because I read an article that said there's a war against Advent, and I pulled that sticker off of a, off of a website, and I had to laugh because when, what went along with it was a Costco thing that said, buy your Christmas stuff now, and the date was in June. Man, I'm an executive member at Costco, and I'm not buying my Christmas stuff in June. My heart's not there. Maybe my wallet is because it's cheap, and that appeals to part of me. Don't skip Advent. Take advantage of every day of hope, every day of expectation, every day of preparation, not just for the stuff you have to do and the people you need to entertain, but for your own heart and your own soul and for the people around you. So repent. True repentance consists of this, acknowledging our own sin and confessing it to God. God, I admit and confess that I'm in a bad place and I can't live without you. And I willingly and intentionally and deliberately turn away from the sin that seems and does at times drive my life. John says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Repentance isn't about pride or denial or antinomianism. Repentance is about brokenness and the need for healing and forgiveness that comes in the name of Jesus. And it's those things of confession and softness of God's healing souls and spirits and lives in Christ those are the fruits of repentance. Paul articulates them in Galatians chapter 5 like this. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness. And my least favorite one, self-control. Those are the fruits of the Spirit that God grows in us and through us in a life of repentance. And then... John the Baptist would say, keep your eyes on the one who is next. John was pointing to Jesus. John was not the one who put the spotlight on himself and said, I'm John the Baptist. Dude, I got a camel's hair coat. It wasn't a camel's hair coat. It was probably a literal camel. It wasn't like you'd think if you go down to Aaron Brothers. It was not that kind of a camel hair coat with the button. It was not that kind of a camel. He had a gnarly camel's hair coat, man. And he's eating wild honey and grasshoppers and God only knows what else. And his voice was probably rough and gruff, and his message was tough and mean. And he would have been the best sideshow attraction in the whole world. But John the Baptist took the spotlight and he put it on Jesus. He said, it's not me, it's him. It's not my baptism for repentance. It's his in the spirit for the forgiveness of sins. The one is coming that's going to make all of this stuff right. And I ain't him. But here he comes. His name is Jesus. 
He will save his people from their sins. When you turn and repent, you don't turn and repent to an angry God in the sky, but you turn and repent to the one who gave his life for you, to Jesus, the son of Mary, the son of Joseph, the son of God, whose law guides our lives, whose peace sits in our hearts, and whose grace and forgiveness provides us a safe place to fall every single day of the year or maybe towards the end. Don't skip Advent because sometimes if we skip Advent, we miss Jesus. And without Jesus, Christmas and life is empty. Christmas. Are you all ready? You got it all done? Realize we got one less week of shopping. You know how hard that is? It's awful, isn't it? I don't know if my wife and I are going to stick stickers on Christmas cards this, this afternoon during the second NFL game or what we're going to do, but there's plenty to do. Don't skip Advent. Get your heart prepared. But Advent also allows us to think one bigger thought, and that is that there is one bigger day coming. Christmas is big, and Jesus is on the way, And he changes our lives, and he puts a focus on his love, and in him we have peace with God. And we look forward to December 24th and all that goes with it, but there's one more peace. It's a marvelous picture. You can see it better here than I can see it in the back. This is the picture of the Sistine Chapel, the the, the roof of the Sistine Chapel that Michelangelo painted. Because Christmas is great, but something bigger is on the way. Michelangelo knew it, the artists knew it, the pictures that I put up on the screen this morning are all famous, almost all of them before 1700. Because people love Christmas, but Christmas tells us one more thing, and that is that something bigger is on the way. Christ is on the way back. He hasn't forgotten. The voices of the prophets are not empty Every day is a day of Advent. It could be that this afternoon at 3 o'clock, Jesus comes back. Not for Christmas, but for good. And our hearts are in a good place to receive Him. Each day is a mini Advent, a day of preparation. A day of saying, Lord, if you're coming back today, I'm in and I'm ready. Let's go. Every day is a day to say, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And tonight, if we lay our head on the pillow and we wake up after visions of sugar plums dance in our head, then we give thanks to God for the day that we had and the day that we have until that day. Well, Michelangelo's picture of eternity in heaven is opened up, and we go to be with Jesus having been sealed and saved in Him. And so until He comes back, we gather together, which we're going to do in just a few moments. We had a very simple meal that we're going to gather together with. It's not going to be like your Christmas feast. (laughs) But what the bread and the wine deliver for us in the word and promise of God is peace with God. We repent and turn to God. He doesn't say, well, here's uh, some foul foul-smelling fish, and here's some nasty food that you deserve, and some vinegar and all that stuff. He says, no, no, come to my table and take the best. My body and my blood given for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent and turn to me, 
and I will heal and restore and forgive. The best part of the service is not the music or the sermon. So we gather together as a line of believers and having repented in prayer and brokenness, we take and eat the body of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. We take and drink the blood of Jesus to renew us and restore us and prep us for the challenges of the year and the day. And that marvelous word of forgiveness that we don't drag forward in our lives all the hateful things of the past, but God in Christ, the Messiah, delivers forgiveness. And that salvation is ours. That when the end comes, we go to be with Jesus as surely as He came to be with us. And until that day comes, this simple meal, this simple supper, unites us one with another in communion and unites us with God. What a marvelous day to be together. To prep, to give thanks, to repent, to look forward to a new year.